0: We're glad you're listening. I want you to think of a time where you felt deeply, closely connected with God. It could be yesterday, it could be six days ago, it could be six months ago, six years ago, but think in your mind of a time where you felt most connected and close to God. Okay, you got that image? Now I want you to ask yourself, what were you doing? where were you? What was the location? What were you doing with your body? Okay, now keep that image in your mind, parked there. You can press pause for a moment. Okay, I want to uh, introduce you to a, a place I've never been, but I want to go. Uh, about a mile off the northeast uh, corner of England, near the Scottish border, is a little island, a tidal island, called the Holy Island of Lindisfarne. Kind of fun to say, Lindisfarne. It measures three miles east to west, about a mile and a half north to south, about 1,000 acres. Uh, It's been around since about the 6th century, and it actually has a a huge uh, part in Celtic Christianity. It it has lighthouses and stone chapels, a monastery, a beautiful castle up on the hill uh, that dates back to 1550. And only about 180 people live on this small island. Today, it's really popular with tourists. And again, I want to go there one day. And what's interesting is because it's a tidal island, you can only get to it when the tide is low. There's a causeway, there's a road that vehicles can take, but only when the tide is low. But a few hours later, when the tide rises, it completely covers the causeway, creating an island. Fascinating. At high tide, that causeway being covered, in fact, there are warning signs that urge visitors walking or driving to the island, watch the tidal patterns, do not try to cross if you see the waters rising, and sometimes they have to go and rescue vehicles that get stranded. The, the, the tables, the tide tables are prominently displayed at both ends of that causeway. But there's also an ancient path that runs on the mudflats there. Uh, It's a marked path, and uh, it's called the Pilgrim's Way. And along the Pilgrim's Way is is a route that's marked by posts, and you can see that there. If you want to walk this mile stretch, and the water rises, and the storms come, and things get foggy, and you can't see, they tell you, just look for the next post. And if you need to, hug the post so that you aren't swept out to sea, It also has a few marked refuge boxes that they're called. For stranded walkers, if the posts aren't enough, you can actually ascend these boxes that look like lifeguard stands, and you can wait it out for a few hours. Now, I love this image, and this has stuck with me, and one of the reasons I want to visit the, the holy island of Lindisfarne. In fact, I was telling a friend of mine about this, and he actually said, you'll never believe it. I have some friends right now that are doing the Pilgrim's Way walk at Lindisfarne, and they sent this photo. This is last week. Now I want you to kind of press pause on that story as well. Well, several weeks ago, uh, when Doug taught in the uh, the gathering about the disruption that we've experienced and what do we do in terms of discipleship in the disruption, and he shared the in, out, and up dynamic that we've talked about here at uh, Renew before, that we're going to look at this fall, pressing into being with Jesus, the up dimension, Um, Being like Jesus, the inner dimension, and then doing things that Jesus did, the outer dimension here over the next few months. So this morning, we're stepping into this idea of being with Jesus, this with Jesus, this with God life. And one of the most tried and true elements of a with God life is being grounded in Scripture. In fact, study after study continues to show it is the number one factor that contributes to people's Spiritual growth and faith development is their level of engagement with the Bible. Now, let's pause here and let's be very honest. Uh, People have experienced the Bible in a wide variety of ways, right? For some of you, you found it to be this wonderful, joy-infused, life-giving experience, and it guides your life, and it brings you closer to God. But if we're really honest, there are some of us that find it boring or irrelevant or out of date or intimidating or downright difficult and frustrating, filled with stops and starts. Maybe you find it confusing or overwhelming or daunting. Maybe you experience those moments of ecstasy and joy only to find it just evaporates. And you go, where did it go? Why does it feel dry again? And maybe as a result, you feel those feelings of frustration or disappointment or guilt, and you're not alone. In fact, in this season that we've been in, the American Bible Society did a massive study and they found, after interviewing tens of thousands of people, that between 2019 to 2020, pre and then beginning of the pandemic, that the percentage of U.S. adults that actually engage in their Bible daily went from 14% down to 9%, the lowest ever in modern recorded history. Now, I wanna begin by sharing a few truths. Before I do that, I wanna assure you that this time is not about shaming you or guilting you that you're not reading your Bible enough. Instead, my hope for this morning is that you would feel a great amount of permission and freedom to go, wow, I can actually engage with God that way? That's the goal here this morning, that you see the creativity of connection with God and it unlocks something new in you. I wanna begin by sharing a a few truths that just ground us as we think about how we might participate and engage with scripture. And so let me give you a couple of these truths. Here's truth number one. The primary goal of reading your Bible is not to know your Bible. It's to know the God of your Bible. Now that may seem obvious, but it's amazing to me how many people read their Bible thinking the goal of reading their Bible is to win some sort of Bible quiz off. You are not called to read your Bible, so you're a know-it-all. The goal of, your, of reading your Bible is not to know your Bible. It's to know the God of your Bible. Now, uh, where we live across the street from us, our neighbors right in front of our house, across the street, Jim and Kathy, have a tree. Now, here's a picture of that tree. It's actually uh, not that exciting right now, uh, that tree. Um, but um, in about a few weeks here, when the leaves start changing, that tree turns bright red. It's almost like somebody plugs it into the electrical socket, it just lights up. It's unbelievable. And I love the fall and I tell Jim and Kathy, I love your tree that I see that when I come down the stairs and look out the window. And In just a few weeks it's gonna be that. Well, when Bennett was about four or five years old, I distinctly remember the tree was lit up one fall and I just looked out and I put my finger uh, to the window and I looked out and I said, Bennett, Isn't that beautiful? And he said, what, Dad? And I said, isn't it beautiful? And he said, what beautiful? And I said, the tree. Isn't the tree beautiful? He looked at me and he said, what tree? The the tree, buddy, the guy, the thing that's lit up on fire. He looked at me and he said, I don't see a tree. I'm like, buddy, right there, the big tree. And I kept pointing and pointing until I realized my finger had been against the glass. Bennett thought I was pointing to some little dot or spot or speck that was on the glass. And I realized, oh, no, 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 buddy, not more. my finger is on the glass. I want you to look through the glass to the tree. And he went, oh, that is pretty. And it made me think that's how we read our Bibles much of the time. That we actually are going, I don't see anything beautiful. It looks like a speck on the window. It looks like a smudge, a smear. And I think that's the point of what God's saying is, no, 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 use the Bible to look through out into the world to see the beauty of what God is doing and who he is. So don't read the Bible to know the Bible to see the speck on the glass. Read the Bible to look through the glass to see the beauty of it, to know who God is, to experience him firsthand. In fact, in John 5, in the message, Jesus actually talks about this. He tells the religious leaders, you're looking at the spot on the glass. You're not looking through the glass. And he says this to them. He said, You have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there, but you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me. He's saying, Don't read your Bible to just know your Bible. Read your Bible to know the God of the Bible. That's the point. And we have this opportunity to know God firsthand, just as the writers of scriptures uh, knew God firsthand. Now, here's truth number two okay? Stop reading your Bible. It's probably something you never thought you'd hear in church, right? Stop reading your Bible. Instead, engage with it. There is a big difference between reading your Bible and engaging with Scripture. And there's a movement that I'm grateful to be a part of called the Scripture Engagement Movement. If we only think about reading our Bible like reading a textbook, it's only going to go to our heads. It's never going to run wild through our bloodstream. And so this movement that I am grateful to be a part of, the scripture engagement movement, movement, is helping people move from just reading from the neck up to reading with our whole lives, exactly how God has wired us. If we just read from the neck up, and by the way, there's benefits to learning and loving God with all of our minds, but if we only read from our From our neck up, we don't get a chance to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and our soul and our strength, too. We are not heads on sticks. It's not who we are. We're fully integrated, fully engaged people. And so the best way for you to experience God through Scripture is not to read it, it's to engage with it. Now, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd, so I like museums. Has anybody ever been to the Museum of, Ameri- the, of the American Revolution down in the city? Yeah, it's one of Philadelphia's uh, newest museums. It's about two blocks off of the Liberty Bell um, at, on Independence Mall. It's fantastic if you go. Not everyone agrees with me, and here's why. Because when you go, you walk around. And as my family likes to say, we're just reading a bunch of plaques. Dad, like, oh, now we read another plaque, and then we read another. I'm like, isn't it amazing? And they go, no. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. But, but as you go through, it says, do not touch. Stay behind here. Things are behind glass, right? But how many of you have ever been to the Please Touch Museum? Anybody? I hope there's some adults that raise their hands, too. And by the way, don't think that's just for kids, all right? One of the first dates Megan and I ever went on was to a children's museum in Indianapolis, and we had a blast. So don't think you're too old to go to the Please Touch Museum. I love that it's not called the Children's Museum of Philadelphia, but the Please Touch Museum. It's saying, pull it out, build it, knock it down, build something. You know, I, I think there's a, yeah, a picture here. You can actually build a boat and put the smocks on so you don't get wet, get messy, try it on, put it back, throw it on the floor, clean it up. I love the experiential element of the Please Touch Museum. Why do I tell you this? Because most of us, For whatever reason, either being trained formally or informally, we've been taught to read our Bibles like we go through the Museum of the American Revolution. Read the plaque. Read another plaque. Oh, that's interesting. Cool, look at that. But the invitation to engage with Scripture, to engage with God, is to say, pull it off the shelf. Try it on. Float it down the river. Play the music. Run around. And I love that. You have permission when it comes to Scripture to do that. And when you do that, by the way, if you're a parent and you've ever taken your kids there, you can admit it that you had as much fun, if not more fun, than your kid did. And by the way, parents, you can also admit you probably learned as much, if not more, than your kid did as well. Why is that? Because you were engaged and you experienced the museum. You didn't just move from plaque to plaque. Stop reading your Bible and start engaging with it. Here's the third one. Here's the third truth I want to give you. We all have different learning styles and personalities, and you have a faith personality. You have a spiritual temperament that God has given to you. He's wired that in you. Now, we all know we have different temperaments, right, whether that's personality assessments or type indicators, the Myers-Briggs indicator, DISC, the Enneagram. You also learn in different ways, right? Some of you are visual. I'm a visual learner. Some of you are auditory or kinesthetic. You need to do it and experience it to actually get it. Um, Even how we work out might be different. Megan is a runner. I love that she's a runner. I hate running, but I love swimming. But even as I swim three days a week, my swimming routine is different. Even though I love it, I still vary it up to make sure that I experience it, and so it doesn't become rote or dry to me. It's because that's my workout personality. We all have different foods, likes and dislikes. I'm a Chipotle fan. I'm a Chick-fil-A fan. But here's the deal. Much as I love them, I don't want to eat that meal, every single meal. No offense, Sam. Like, I really don't. Part of the reason I don't want to do that is so I continue to love them. Right? You may say, I don't like Chipotle. I don't like Chick-fil-A. I don't know how you're a Christian if you don't like Chick-fil-A. But whatever it is. But you don't eat that every meal because There are certain things that we do, even if you love them, we still need to vary them in order to enjoy them. Why do I tell you all this? Because earlier, I asked you the question, when did you best connect with God? And what were you doing? And where were you? And what was your body doing? If I had everyone share, my guess is we'd have very, very different answers. And that's a good thing. Some of you might say, man, when I'm out in nature, man, that's when I've experienced God the most. Or when I'm singing or when I'm dancing before God. Others might say, well, I was at a monastery, complete silence for a week, it was awesome. Other people said, when I was holding prayer beads or I was going through liturgy and praying something that was 1,000 years old. Whatever it is, that's your personality, your spiritual temperament of how God has wired you. And you have permission to engage with God through the scriptures in the way He's made you. Don't let anybody tell you this is the only way you have to read your Bible. You have to do it this way and you have to read this amount, and you have we can engage with God the way He's created each and every one of us through His scripture. I want to briefly go through these nine prayer or faith personalities. Uh, Gary Thomas wrote a book called "Sacred Pathways." And there are these these pathways, these spiritual temperaments by which we connect with God. And they're very different ways, like I just mentioned. And I want to just go through those briefly. But as I do that, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to list these nine different temperaments about how you can engage with God, as Gary Thomas talks about them. And as I do that, I want you to do two things. The first thing is I want you to say, ooh, that makes my heart quicken. Actually, I, that yeah, that's me. Or yeah, that, that's, that's how I connect with God. See if you can identify that. Okay. Number two, you're probably gonna hear some things and go, that's weird. Why would anybody want to connect with God that way? My encouragement would be: don't judge. Because the person next to you, that's what lights them on fire. Okay? So we're all different. So don't judge, but see if you can find the thing that you go, that's me. And there may be more than one. There may be two or three um, that you say, man, that's who I am. All right. So let me just go through some of these. I'm gonna list these up here. Uh, on a slide for you, because this relates how you engage with Scripture. And I'll give you some examples in my own life of where I am and how I engage with Scripture when I connect with God best, right? So the first one is a naturalist. A naturalist is someone who they just are able to love and connect with God best when they're outside. They'd rather pray by a stream or walk a beach or go on a backpacking trip, and they believe that nature clearly proclaims how God is. And when reading the Bible... These people strongly relate to those passages that talk about creation. And you go, yeah, of course it talks about God. Well, uh, the trees clapping their hands in praise before God. Of course, right? And other people go, "Ooh, bugs, outside? Why would I want to be outside? I don't want to be outside. Well, that's not you then. That's fine. But you're a naturalist. If you go, yeah, that's how I've connected with God. When I see a mountain range and I go, oh, God, you're amazing, you're probably a naturalist, all right? Number two, a sensate. That's not really a word we talk about a lot, but sensates are people that love to use their senses. They're drawn to maybe the liturgical or, or they love incense, and they go, oh, when I smell that, I I'm reminded of the aroma of Christ. And, and they just love uh, being able to hold something or feel something or engage with something in their senses as a way of engaging with God. I have some friends that use prayer beads. They're not Catholic. They just need something in their hand to feel and hold. In fact, uh, I'm not a sense it, but I actually have some prayer beads. They help me pray. And when I go through each of the beads, not praying to Mary, if sometime you want me to explain my prayer beads, I can do that for you. But it helps me pray a different beads and help me think through that by essentially having something in my hand. So I love that. So if that's you, maybe it's art, engaging in something or writing something, that's, you're probably a sense it. A traditionalist is someone who loves God through ritual and symbol. Maybe they love the historic dimensions of faith. These symbols are sacraments. Um, they tend to have a really disciplined life of faith. Uh, people who aren't this kind of think it's boring. Why would you want to do that? And, but people are moved when they recite prayers that are 1,000 years old, and they love being able to connect with God that way. And if that's you, great. But if it's not you, that's fine. That's fine as well. Uh, The next one, ascetics, uh, these are people that love solitude and simplicity. You know, most people are freaked out by silence. Ascetics go, oh, I love it. And after an hour, they go, oh, it's too short. Oh, give me another three hours. I can just connect and just sit with God. And most of us are like falling asleep, you know, like for like after 10 minutes. But these are people that love being able to just sit with God. No pictures, no loud music. They just want to sit and be with God, and they connect alone in prayer. They, they just love sitting with their Bible and that's it. Just being with Jesus. Great. If that's you, fantastic. Other people are activists. They love God through confrontation. They actually love pushing back the darkness. This is unjust. I love being a part of pushing back so that the justice of God comes through and you just feel this energy through your body. So you're drawn to those passages in scripture that deal with justice and God is a just God. And you love being able to enter into that. You just feel infu- infused and enthused when you do something like that. It could be human trafficking or racism or poverty. But when you do that, you just say, God, thank you for having me on your team, that I can partner with you in this way. Now, the sixth one is our caregivers. Some of you have probably identified some people in the room who are this. They love God when they're serving and loving other people. When people are hurting and they get to walk alongside of them and go, God, thank you. And so they love serving. So people uh, who connect in that way, they pray for people. That's when they feel close to God. And when they read about needs in scripture, they tear up. When they read about somebody where Jesus met their needs, they go, oh, I love reading stories where Jesus does that. That moves you. You're probably a caregiver in how God has wired you, which is terrific. That's great. This is kind of the Mother Teresa, right? We see Jesus in the poor and the hurting and the dying. That's great if that's you. The seven are the enthusiasts. Now, you know who you are and so do we. (laughs) These are people that love mystery and they love celebration, right? They don't worship. They worship, you know? And it's great. It's great. They just say, what else could get me jazzed about life than what God is up to? And they have to let it out. And they look around at other people going, how can you sit in your seat and clap politely? Like, this is amazing, right? And so if you're an enthusiast, this idea of excitement and joy and celebration brings you alive. And they're expressive. And like David, they, they dance before the Lord in worship, which is great. Um, number eight is contemplative. And this is very uh, similar, uh, maybe to ascetics, but they love God through adoration. When they think about just the fact that God loves them, they start crying. The idea of the, the, the father love of God is something they talk about a lot, right? These, they just moved by God's love for them and God's love for other people. Not what he, not what he does or what we're doing, but just purely the, just who God is in his love. They're moved by that and they can contemplate that. This is like Mary in the Mary and Martha stories where Mary just loves, just sitting at the feet of Jesus and reflecting on, how much Jesus loves And the last one, intellectuals. These are people that love God with their minds. They're not trying to get smart to be impressive or to boast or show off. They just love the joy of learning. And the more they dig into a commentary or the original Greek word, you know, they, they just go, oh, God's amazing. They read a theology book that most of us would think was really dry and boring, but they go, oh. The more I learn about God, the more amazed I am by who he is. We can't fully grasp it. That's someone who might be wired as an intellectual. They love to journal and study scripture and read books about prayer, and they just gobble it up. They gobble it up. Now, why do I share all this with you? Because I hope as we've looked at these nine, you've been able to go, that's me. I didn't know that was me, or I think that is me, or I think that's my wife, or I think that's my friend, or people in my house church I think are that. Great. God has wired you in that unique way. And He's given you and us a permission to engage the scriptures the way He has wired you. So if you just say, man, I just can't sit and read my Bible for an hour and just pray and just sit there for 30 minutes and I feel like a terrible Christian because I just, maybe that's not how God has wired you. Maybe you need to get up and walk around. Maybe you need to shout your praises to the Lord because you're an enthusiast. Great, try that. Maybe you say, ah, nothing feels right. But man, when I recite the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, or I read this passage in Philippians 2 of Paul's message, and I read it over and over again, that lights me up. Great. Pray and read and engage with Scripture how you're wired. Here Here this fall at Renew, we're being challenged to lean in and to engage with the Bible in a new way, to participate in a variety of practices, especially with how we're wired. Now, I tell you these nine because I stumbled upon this, and by accident one day a few years ago, in one of the seminary courses that I teach, I just shared Gary Thomas's nine spiritual temperaments. And I looked out, and to my shock, more than half my students were crying. And I just said, can can we just pause for a second? What's happening? (laughs) I'm a little caught off guard. I remember one woman raised her hand. This is a middle-aged woman. studying to be a pastor, and she said, my whole life, I've beat myself up because I haven't been able to fit the traditional quiet time mold I've been told my whole life. And you've just given me permission to actually be and engage with scripture the way God has wired me. Someone else said, yep, me too. I didn't even know I was allowed to do this. I didn't know I was allowed to go on a walk and pray." I didn't know I was allowed to read scripture and then write it out or memorize it as my way of engaging with it or draw a picture of it. I didn't know I was allowed. And now, every time I teach this particular course, and we talk about this, I ask for the student evaluations at the end. The overwhelming, every single time, the overwhelming thing they say, the most important thing they learn was figuring out and discerning their temperament of how God's wired them They can engage with scripture and prayer in the way God's given into their soul. And I hope and pray that you're able to identify how God has wired you. That's permission from the God of the universe for you to be exactly who He wants you to be, to learn in the scriptures of exactly who He is. That's the invitation. Not all scripture engagement practices will fit perfectly for everyone. There's no one size fits all. You may participate in some this fall and go, yes! And you may participate in some and go, that was a little weird. I still want you to try. I still want you to engage with me. Because there have been times that I thought, oh, this is kind of weird, but okay, I'll go through it. Only to realize, wow, I had no idea. I connected with God in an unbelievable way by trying this unique scripture engagement practice. Now, for me, I'm a naturalist, and I'm an intellectual. That doesn't mean I'm smart. It does mean that I find joy when I learn new things. So what is important for me? As an intellectual and a naturalist, I did this this morning. My family knows this. I like to go out on our back porch. On our back porch, we've got lots of flowers. There are birds coming in, right? We've got a, 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 if you've been on our back porch, we've got a a little pond with a little fountain there, right? Right? and we love that little waterfall. And so I'm out on the porch, and I'm going, ah, this is where God, God shows up in a garden, Garden of Eden. The end of the book of Revelation is about a, a garden in the middle of a city. Ah, I'm a naturalist. So even meeting God, I'm out in nature. I was talking with the Culp's yesterday. We went to grounds for sculpture this week, and Cindy and I were geeking out about our, you know, landscape architecture and the plants and the bushes and how cool it was. Other people, you know, but for us, it's super cool. I engage with God that way. So for me, I've got to be in environments to engage with God where that happens. But I also am an, an, an intellectual. And so because of that, I like to journal. I've got my study Bible out. I'm looking at the background of this word and that, and the deeper I go, I don't think, oh, I'm a brilliant guy. Look how smart I am. I go, look at how amazing God is. The more I learn, the more I realize I don't know about this amazing God. That's just me. But for you, when you connect with God, find those places that light you up like a Christmas tree and say, maybe I need to lean into that a little bit more. Well, that's a long way of setting this up and I'm not gonna teach for very long on this passage, but I wanna encourage you to turn to or click to John 15. John 15, because... The reason why we have to look at this passage as we start is because if we think this is about technique, we're going to miss the point. If we think it's just about A plus B plus C equals D, and I'll just connect with God if I follow this recipe, do these three things, add water and stir, we are missing the point. It is not about technique, it is about transformation. And it's about aligning ourselves and giving God enough access with who we are to be transformed by Him. Now, John 15, 1 through 8, I know many in the men's and women's discipleship group, you have memorized this, but I still want to lean into this for just a few moments. And then I'm going to invite you to lean into it with what you believe your prayer personality is. Right? So here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you. Would you stand? And let me read this. I'm going to read from a slightly different translation than maybe you're used to memorizing if you have done that in our discipleship groups. John 15, 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He takes away every branch that does not bear fruit in me. He prunes every branch that bears no fruit, so that it will, be, it will bear more fruit. You are clean already because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it remains in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit, because apart from me you can accomplish nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown out like a branch and dries up, and such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire and are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My father is honored by this, that you bear much fruit and show that you are my disciple. You can be seated. What I love about this passage is that Jesus blows the idea out of the water that it's just about technique. Do these three simple things, add water and stir, and you're going to have a good relationship with me. It's not an equation, it's a relationship. What I love when I read this, that, it, that when I'm engaging with this, I see that vines don't abide by working and striving harder. Vines don't go, I'm just going to oh, try my best, oh, and I'm sure I'll produce some fruit. Nope. Their whole goal is just to remain attached and connected to the vine. That's it. The rest will take care of itself. I don't strive. I don't do effort in my own power. Thinking about this. This little area by our by our detached garage. We dumped last year's pumpkin in there. And happened to notice a couple weeks ago. Oh, look, there's a little gourd popping up. Little, little, what do you call them? Cinderella pumpkins, the white ones. Now, we could grow impatient and go, that's pretty cool. Let's cut it off and put it on the table. The moment we do that, that's the beginning of death, right? I say, No, 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 just leave it there. Let's see what happens. See how big it gets. All we need to do, make sure that that little Cinderella pumpkin is attached to the vine and it's going to be fine. You do not have to strive in your relationship with God. You do not. It's not about you trying harder and going out. After- it's about you just saying I'm going to remain attached. I'm going to remain. It's both an active and passive existence. You have a part to play, but it's not all about you and your effort. It's about your part of participating and realizing the source is from divine. And when I'm connected to divine, I can relax. Our part is to remain connected to the vine by taking our personalities, who we are, and being connected with the scriptures. Not to read the scriptures, to know the scriptures, but to know the God of the scriptures. When you do that, it's amazing the growth that can happen in Jesus. The great agrarian says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You cut off from the vine, you're on the path to death. Here's what we're gonna do. I know I'm going a little bit long. When I get passionate and excited, this is what happens. I apologize. But here's what I want you to do, just for a few minutes. I want you to take what you believe might be, and if you aren't sure, that's okay. Just try something. What might be your own personality, your spiritual temperament of how you might engage with Scripture? I want you to take this passage, John 15, and we've done a couple things. Here's a slide. Put the slide up here of some options. Maybe for you, maybe you say, you know what? I'm probably more of an intellectual. I want to try something different. Maybe you just want to sit and you just want, with pen and paper, you just want to write out John 15, 1 through 8. Just slowing down. Some of you have joined with me in hand copying books of the Bible and you say, man, I got so much out of it because I slowed down. Maybe you want to engage in some Lectio Divina. And if you're interested in that, um, some of you know how to do that. I can give you some instructions on how to do that later. We don't have time this morning but of wanting to engage in this ancient practice of how we listen and pray the scriptures. Maybe you wanna just sit and you wanna visualize yourself as a vine connected. Maybe you've got dirt all over you. Maybe you wanna envision yourself by my garage as that little pumpkin attached to the vine. Maybe you wanna visualize it and walk through that and say, what is the look on Jesus's face as he sees me remaining with him? Maybe you just wanna read that slowly and visualize what's happening. And then lastly, maybe you want to draw it. Maybe you want to draw it. By the way, you see, like, down up front, like, and, and then um, in the back, and yeah, over here as well. We just have, like, there are index cards and there's papers, there's pens, there's colored pencils. So we want to encourage you, you get the next eight minutes. It's not very long, but I just want you to taste a little bit of it. If you want to sit in your seat quietly, you can. If you want to move around and you want to sit on the front, you want to pace back and forth, you want to go outside. I know it's, raining a little bit i was hoping today for some of our naturalists that's where i would have been is to take my bible and read the passage out by some bushes outside and just see if god meets me there but i'm going to give you 8 minutes i know that's not very long the only thing i ask is that we don't go to the restroom yet unless you're exploding and that we that we don't talk i really want this to be a sacred 8 minutes of engaging in whatever way you want to sit and read you can do that you want to stand You want to read or discuss the passage quietly with someone next to you, that's okay. But I want to see if God might be able to meet us in our spiritual temperament. And if again, if you're not sure and you want to experiment and say, I've never handwritten out a passage, try it. Or I've never just sat and reflected on God's love in this passage. Maybe you want to try that. But we just want to give you a chance to get behind the wheel and to test drive it and see what happens if God might Going. Let me say a quick prayer, and then I'm gonna. I'll have uh, eight minutes set on my my timer, and then after eight minutes, I'll bring us back in. Okay, let me pray. Jesus, you have wired us in so many unique ways. God, we don't want to just read the Bible to get smart. We want to read the Bible to be transformed. And so, in this time, would you be with all of us here? Give us creativity. Give us permission to be able to experiment just a little bit to try to engage with you. That we learn more of who you are, so you can speak to us and we can respond appropriately. So Jesus guide us, be present, surprise us, bless us, challenge us, overwhelm us if you if you need to. But we're here to listen and connect with you, not as a what, but as a who. It's your name we pray, Amen. Again, quietly you can get up and move around as creatively as you desire. The next eight minutes, and I'm gonna read it. For some of you, it may be helpful for you to draw or write or reflect or walk around or sit quietly. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He takes away every branch that does not bear fruit in me. He prunes every branch that bears fruit so that it will be even more fruitful. You are clean already because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. Because apart from me, you can accomplish nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown out like a branch and dries up, and such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire and are burned. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is honored by this, that you bear much fruit and show that you are my disciples. All right. I hate to interrupt this because I love the way that you are connecting. Um, but if you could just quietly uh, make your way to your seat. Here's, we'll transition just a little bit here, and then we're going to respond to this great God that we just read about in John 15 through singing. Um, any other intellectuals in the room? Yeah? Yeah. Great. Yep. Some of that doesn't surprise me knowing some of your personalities, which is great. Earlier this week, I was engaging for the, with this, just not prepping, just my own devotional time. So I read a study Bible, and this is one of the notes, right? So we see John 15, 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Here's what I do. This is why I love being an intellectual, because I make these connections, and other people help me. In the footnote of the study Bible, it says that there's a carved vine inside the temple of Jesus' day. It was carved right above the temple entry point which was dictated back in the Old Testament, how the temple would be made. Whoa, you see the connection? This is what lights up intellectuals. So you go, Jesus is predicting what people have seen. There's the carved vine. Say, oh, it's God's presence here among us. That's why I love this. That's why I read those, because I make those connections and I go, God is amazing in how he put the Bible together. Jesus is brilliant of referring back to something that others would go, oh, you mean like that vine that's carved in the temple when we go to worship God and realize his presence is here? Anyway, all right, I'll stop there. What what I want to do just for two or three more minutes, because I don't want to go too long. Some of you may have connected with God in some really cool ways that lit you up. I want to give you just briefly, maybe like tweet size, not longer than that. What did you do? And did you connect with God? Not just a cool thing you learned or whatever. Did you find you connected with God in a way that we just need to say, that's awesome. How did you connect? And did you connect with God? How many of you felt like you connected not just with the scripture and learning something new, which is great, but of connecting with God and realizing, whoa, this is pretty cool. Anybody get a chance to do that this morning in this just eight minute engagement? Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? And if you didn't, it's okay. I would encourage you experiment, try some other things. And that's what we're going to do this fall. Would you enter in with us at Renew to these experiments of connection with God? Just like in the Please Touch Museum, every exhibit isn't going to connect with you. But my guess is by the end of the time in the Please Touch Museum, you went, I learned something new. I had fun. I connected with what I learned and with the people I was with. And in the same way, I hope that's true for you. I opened with the story of the holy island of Lindisfarne. And I talked about the posts in the water when the tides rise. And I talked about the refuge boxes. And I wanna encourage you because the tides last few years, we all know personally and culturally have been rising and falling, creating a lot of anxiety in our system, in our culture, in our world, and in our own lives. And I wanna invite you to realize that scripture are these posts in the water. And Jesus is those refuge boxes that we can ascend and climb into. And my encouragement to you would be, follow the pilgrim's way. When the tides rise and fall, you can always hold those posts. You can always ascend those refuge boxes. Let scripture be the place where you do that. Don't read your Bible, renew. Engage with it. And don't look at the little speck of dust on the glass. Look through the glass to see the beauty of God to connect with, right? Let's pray. God, thanks so much for the scriptures. Lord, I hope that this morning it has been relieving for many of us who may have felt guilted or shamed or thinking I just, I've given up reading my Bible regularly because it's just too hard and I don't get it and I don't connect. I pray that this morning might just have been the glimpse that sort of opened the door just a tad. For people to say, you know what, maybe I need to lean in here. And Jesus, um, maybe for some of us, it's been really relieving and permission giving to realize that you've wired them in a way that you long for them to use that expression or spiritual temperament to connect with you in the Scriptures. Give us creativity, surprise us and show up. We did this for eight minutes and you showed up for many of us in this room. Allow us to engage in some new and creative ways. And Lord, give us discernment for those of us who are still saying, I don't think I know my spiritual temperament. Give us wisdom and discernment in this season. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for being the great gardener who is the one responsible for fertilizing and pruning and cleaning. And I'll allow us, as Casey said, to be in a two-way relationship where we remain and abide, but you also abide with us. Thanks for not cutting us off out of anger in our sin. Thank you for remaining and abiding with us when we didn't deserve it. The great one, the vine who is carved in the temple of the presence of God is carved on our hearts as well. Thanks for being our, vine, our, our gardener as we seek to be connected to the vine. And it's the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.